1967, there was a man by the name of Doug uh, Nichols, and he decided that he wanted to do some mission work, and he chose India as the place to do it. And he went over there. He didn't speak the language. He didn't know how to communicate to the people. But he had uh, taken with him some pamphlets, some tracts uh, that were written in their language, and he had decided he would just go and pass these out and let, um, uh, in particular, the Gospel of John was a part of that tract, and, and he determined to just let that speak to them. And he hoped for the best. Well, when he got over there, he very quickly contracted tuberculosis. And so he was then sent to a sanitarium and was in isolation with a bunch of other people that had the same uh, malady. And now he's thinking, what am I going to do? I can't uh, do what I came over here to do. And so he decided, I'll just evangelize the, the people in the hospital. And he tried to pass these tracks out that he had brought with him. Nobody would take them. Nobody would take them. And so one night he was uh, awakened about two o'clock in the night by his own coughing. Uh, and as he was coughing, it woke himself up. And he, he noticed that in the bed across from him, there was an older man who was trying to, to get up. He was struggling and he was trying and, and you could hear him straining. And, and finally, just in exasperation, he just fell back down, sighed, and then began to sob. Well, he didn't know what was going on that night, but by morning time, he realized what the man was trying to accomplish. He, he needed to go to the restroom, but he didn't have the strength to go there. And now the nurses have come in, it's their shift, and they see the mess that they're left with, and they were angry. And they very roughly rolled him from side to side as they cleaned him up. And one of the nurses actually smacked the man in the face because of the inconvenience he had put them through. So he said that's what happened that night. The very next night, he awakened himself again because of his cough, and and he again saw that same man trying to get up, trying to get out of bed. But this time, instead of him being exasperated and falling back down, this man got out of bed, and he put his hand behind his neck and shoulders and under his legs and carried him to the restroom and carried him back to bed. And then in the morning, he said, the strangest thing happened. I was awakened by an Indian man who did not speak my language and I didn't speak his, but he had brought me a cup of tea, a cup of hot tea and um, offered it to me to, to have and and I accepted it, and the man kept motioning, though we didn't communicate and couldn't speak to each other. He was telling me he wanted one of those tracks that I had brought with me, and so I gave him a tract. And he said, you know, the next that, that day, the doctors, the nurses, the staff, the patients began coming to me asking for copies of that tract. You see, what made the difference, apparently was that this man showed compassion. He practiced what he preached. His religion wasn't just that of a book. It, it, was, a, it was about a lifestyle. And those who were awake and saw what had transpired that night were touched by that, and they wanted to learn more. 
We're talking about the ripple effect that our lives can have on other people. And last week we began this series talking about the faith of Abraham. I think it's incredible. You know, if you have ever brought someone to Christ, there's a special feeling to know that you help make an impact in the eternal destiny of at least one person. Man, what a great thing to know that you were able to accomplish. But you know, Abraham, Abraham has the satisfaction of knowing that because of his faith, everyone who will eventually be in heaven will be there because of him and his contribution, part of his contribution. It was through his seed all nations of the earth would be blessed. It was through his seed that the Messiah would come because of his faithfulness. And so think of the blessing that Abraham has, knowing that because of his faithfulness, the ripples of the waters have affected everyone, reached everyone who will eventually go to heaven. Man, that's that's wonderful. But do you believe that you can have, maybe not as far-reaching, but do you believe that your life can have a ripple effect on the lives of others? Can your faith impact people that when they see you live out your faith, they are touched and even long after you're dead are still affected by your life? I believe we saw that that can happen and continues to happen. Well, today I want us to not talk about faith the ripple effect of faith, but I want us to talk about the ripple effect of compassion. God's people need to be compassionate people. And I'm telling you, I know that it's a struggle. It doesn't, it's easy to say, but it's hard to do because compassion isn't simple. It's difficult. It's, it's challenging. Sometimes it demands selflessness and it demands inconveniences and it demands getting involved in the lives of people when you'd rather just be home with your legs kicked up in your easy chair. But compassion reflects the heart of God. And people can see God more clearly when they see you, a child of God, living it out in flesh and blood. And it helps them to identify with with our Heavenly Father. I want us this morning to look and see what we can accomplish through the ripple effect of compassion. And I want this church to be known for our compassion. I want this community to know that we are a people who are a compassionate people who have the heart of God and who are touched by the afflictions, whether it be physical or or spiritual, of the people who live here. So let's begin by looking at, I want to just give you a backdrop before we talk about some lessons, but there, there's a backdrop in Mark chapter 6. If you have your Bible, open it to Mark chapter 6. We're not going to read the whole story because if you begin in verse 30 and go through about verse 44, we have the story, but you're probably familiar with it enough that I'll just summarize it for you. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Um, John the Baptist and Jesus were related. You remember that. They were cousins. And John has been imprisoned by Herod. And um, word comes to Jesus that Herod has beheaded John. I don't know how you, you would feel about that. 
Not only is it death, but it's a grotesque death. Herod had John's head put on a platter and and brought before uh, them or his daughter-in-law and given as a gift. Um, Disgusting thing. I can only imagine the anger, uh, the, the fury maybe that you might feel towards someone who would hold a family member, a loved one with that kind of contempt. But Jesus, when he gets word of this death of John, he says, guys, let, let's, let's get off to ourselves and, and let's rest a while. I understand that. And so as he goes to rest and just get away from the people and slow down just a little bit and reflect on his loss and the things that have just happened in his life, <clears throat> the Bible says that the multitude saw where he was going and they that, you know, the Sea of Galilee has this top to it, and they just kind of ran around and met Jesus before his ship got to the other side, and they were there waiting on him. No privacy. Uh, your rest is going to have to come later. Now, he could have just said, hey, leave me alone. I'm not in the mood right now. I've had a bad week. My cousin just was beheaded. Uh, you know, he, he could have said things like that and just made the people go away or just stayed in the boat and went somewhere else. But there's a significant statement made in verse 34. When Jesus came out, he saw the great multitude and he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep who didn't have a shepherd and they were scattered. So he began to teach them with many things. Because of their situation, Jesus looked at them and he had compassion. And he said, I'll get my rest later. I'm going to minister to these people. And the first thing that he realizes is that they're hungry. And it's at the end of the day and nobody has anything to eat. And these people have come to be with him and traveled a long way and they don't have anything to eat. And so he says to his disciples, feed them. And they don't exactly know how that's going to take place. Well, they think they do. What? We're going to have to spend all of our money to feed all these people? Uninvited guests use my money? And Jesus took the loaves and the fish that were there and miraculously multiplied them. And he fed that multitude of people, 5,000 just men. How many women? How many children? You know, I don't know, but a huge crowd. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments after the meal was eaten, uh, indicating that it was a miraculous thing. And that's the story. And he touched the lives of a lot of people through this. And and wouldn't you like to know what happened to those 5,000 people, those 5,000 men, maybe 10,000, 15,000 or more people total? What, What became of them after this encounter with Jesus? I'd like to know the story. But they had to have been impressed in a positive fashion. And here's what I'd like for us to look. Using that text as a backdrop, I want us to see some things about compassion that may challenge us and and get us on the way to being more compassionate people. If I can look at what Jesus did and learn from him and try to put it into practice in my life, maybe I too can make an impression, a ripple in the lives of people through compassion. You know, we may not have um, the ability to 
conduct, you know, Bible studies like some people can. We may not have the money to, to give to causes like other people have. We may not have the position to influence people like other people have. But who cannot be compassionate? Who can't say a kind word? Who can't slow down in their lives enough to take note of the things that are going on around them and, and just show kindness and compassion to others? That's something we all can do. And so by looking to Jesus and using him as an, our, exa- our example, I think there are some things that we can learn here about being more compassionate people. And here's the first lesson. Jesus, in being compassionate, had time for people and he was willing to be inconvenienced. This was not convenient for Jesus. People were not an obstruction to his schedule. People were his schedule. And that's one of the things that we need to realize in life is that we are here as disciples of Jesus. We're the hands of Jesus. We're the feet of Jesus. We're the lips of Jesus. We're, we're to be the embodiment of Jesus. The church is the body of Christ. He's not here anymore, but he left his body here. And we're to be doing the things that Jesus would have done in the flesh. We can't allow people to be an inconvenience to us. People... There are purpose, there are goal, there are mission. And Jesus treated them that way. I don't know that I always do. Sometimes I'm more annoyed, inconvenienced. Man, you put me an hour behind. I had this plan with my family, that plan. I had, and people can become inconveniences and blocks to our schedule that we all have nicely made out. But That's not what compassion does. Jesus wanted to get off to himself and just rest. His cousin has just been killed, and he just wants some time alone. But here come people with a need. And Jesus didn't tell them to go away. He met their need. He looked at them. He saw them. He saw their need. They were scattered sheep. They needed some direction. And so Jesus reached out to them. In Luke chapter 19... In verse 10, there's that statement that's made that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Do you remember that? That was his mission. People were his mission. But it's connected to the first nine verses, which tells us the story of Zacchaeus. You know Zacchaeus, the wee little man, you know, as we sing. Short guy, climbed up in a sycamore tree to see Jesus, but he he was a tax collector, Man, the Jews had no use for these tax collectors. They were almost like traitors. They're working for the uh, government that has subjugated us, and we're paying taxes to them. Man, I don't like that. And these guys are just pawns in the enemy's hands. Zacchaeus was an outcast. Who wants to be around him? Probably not very many people. They also didn't have a very good reputation. They were thieves. They stole a lot. They charged people more than they should have for their taxes. They had a terrible reputation. When the sinners wanted to be categorized, you know, what, how do we describe who, who are the sinners of our culture? You know, we might call out the names of certain kind of people today and describe them as the lowest of sinners. 
<clears throat> in the first century, it was the tax collectors that were the sinners. They're called out. Zacchaeus was a man that Jesus, though, took note of and reached out to and showed compassion to. He went to his house. You know, I can almost picture as Jesus walks by, what would you say to this short guy who climbs a tree? Would, would you have made fun of him? Look, look, look at that guy over there. Um, you know, th- there would be people that would respond that way. There would be people who said, oh, that's a, that's a guy, a tax collector. But Jesus looked to him and said, come down, I want to go to your house. I want to talk to you about salvation. And he brought salvation to this man's home. He had compassion on Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus was a person and that's who Jesus came to seek and save. We have to develop this this mindset that people are precious and they're loved by God and not everybody fits the mold. There are people that kind of annoy you personally. their, their habits, their traits, their personality is different from yours. Don't run from them. Embrace them. There's a place for them. Don't be afraid to be with those that we might consider outcast of society. They have souls too. And can you imagine what it must be like from that? Have you ever met, I can think of a person right now who desperately wanted to be in, you know, but they were always on the fringe. Well, not even on the fringe. They're always on the outside. They didn't know how to relate to people. They didn't, as hard as they tried to, to fit in, the harder they tried, the worse they made it. Everybody was aware of how different they were and they longed to just fit in, but they couldn't. And people shied from them. Uh, like the plague. But if you were that person, how would you feel longing to fit in and knowing that you don't and not knowing how to fix it? Jesus cares for those people. He cares for those who are different physically and mentally and their personality is different. He, he loves them too and is concerned for their souls. And so must we be. You know, one of the things, I've done a lot of reflecting over the last few uh, weeks on my dad. And one of the things that kind of struck me, just kind of stuck out as uh, I was attending his funeral. And some things, some emails that I'd received since then and some conversations with others. Dad had a lot of people that were not, um, well, they were social Misfits, if you can say that and, and understand what I mean, they were just different. Uh, a young man came up to me at Dad's uh, the visitation, and he came and he wasn't dressed well. He, he nobody would dress that way if they were socially in. But he came to the funeral and he came up to me and he said, "You know what? Your dad told me the other day that he was proud of me." And that just meant the world to this guy. Um, I don't know what the context was or why Dad said that to him, but, but Dad had said a word of encouragement to him, and that meant the world to this guy. 
Uh, just this past week, I was with my mom. We, we were at the West Virginia School of Preaching lectureship, and I spoke, and we went out to eat right after we had eaten. Um, there was a man who came over. I, I didn't know who he was, never met him before, and it was obvious that he wasn't quite right. And he said, um, you know what, I, I, your dad, I really liked him. And I said, well, thank you, I, I appreciate that. And he said, you know what your dad said to me one time? He said, I'm his friend. And I said, well, I'm glad to hear that. The man was different. But because my dad said, I'm proud of you, you're my friend. That meant the world to those people. Compassion. You know, you're busy. You could just brush those kind of people aside and, and just, you know, get, get them away. But that's not the response of Jesus. He showed compassion to these people who were scattered and needed a shepherd. We need to have that kind of mind as well. Um, compassion led to teaching in verse 34. You see what Jesus did? And notice the connection. Jesus saw these people. They were scattered as without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. So what did he do? Here are people that Jesus says, Oh, I pity these people. What am I going to do for them? You know what he did? He taught them. We show compassion to people by pointing them to Jesus. It's, it's not just about meeting physical needs, letting them, you know, have things. Compassion means you point people to Jesus, the Word of God. You give them direction that will help them not only in this life, but in the next life. Do you remember Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 26, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world? And lose his own soul. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Compassion compels me to talk to people about Jesus. Not just give them things. And that's what Jesus did. He ministered to people and uh, helped them to see Jesus. To see God. A third thing that Jesus did uh, in showing compassion is, well, he showed me that it requires selflessness. The disciples thought, this is going to be expensive. And sometimes being compassionate is expensive. Jesus didn't demand that it be so on this particular case. He performed a miracle. But when Jesus said, hey, feed these people, give them something to eat, they basically said, you're going to blow our budget. You know, we, we got to buy money or buy food for this many people? You're kidding me. Sometimes helping people means that you have to dig down deep and it's costly and it doesn't come easily. The disciples realized or thought that that Jesus was asking them to make a sacrifice and sometimes that's exactly what we need to do. We need to make a sacrifice. Helping people may mean I have to invest. It's going to be costly. There are things that I'm going to have to do that will... um, cost me some money, demand of my time. When we were living in Glasgow, there, were, uh, there was a family there. That, um, when the girls in that family were about seven and maybe five years old, seven or eight, somewhere in that neighborhood, I can't remember, there were two girls. They weren't uh, teenagers yet. They were still very young. Their mother died. 
she had a terrible illness. It was a long, debilitating illness, and she finally passed away. It was an awful thing. And now this father is, has the responsibility of raising these two little girls. They're now in high school at the time the next visit to their family comes along. The girls are still in high school. One of them hasn't even reached high school yet, but the other one was. And the father was leading singing one Sunday morning, and he's just out there. Didn't seem right. There was something wrong. And later that afternoon, and I talked to a doctor in the congregation. I said, what, what, some, what, what do you think about? And she had concerns. And so that, later that afternoon, we were at a function, and he sat at the table, and, and he couldn't carry on a good conversation with me. And, and so I told this other doctor, and they made arrangements. They had some tests. Long story short, he had cancer. Uh, and it was a form of brain cancer that was aggressive, and nothing could be done. And within a matter of months... He was dead. Two little girls, uh, still in high school, one not yet in high school. They have no family. The house that they lived in was not paid for. What are these two girls going to do? Well, I'll tell you what happened. The community became aware of that, and and they rallied to do some things. But you know, above and beyond the community, the church stepped forward and showed compassion. They got the house paid off, the, the indebtedness to that house. One of the families in the church adopted one of the girls. The other girl was fixing to go to college, but they they took her into their own family as one of their own. Um, they had no family to go to. But the church responded and showed compassion. And that not only has affected and had a ripple effect on the girls and on their lives, but it's had a ripple effect on the community. You know what the church did for these girls? They're talking in a very positive and uh, light on the church due to the steps that were taken to meet the needs and to show compassion to these little girls. Ephesians 3 and verse 21 says that it's the mission of the church. It's our goal to bring glory to God through Christ Jesus in his church. I can make all kinds of excuses why I shouldn't have to help people because, after all, we have government agencies, don't we? You know, we, we, can, we can kick them over that direction. And we'll let, uh, you know, the Red Cross and we'll let this and we'll... There are all kind of agencies that will minister to people too, and we can say, that, you know, they can do it. But what about this bringing glory to God through Jesus Christ in His church? Aren't there ways that maybe we can take the lead and show compassion to people in our communities when, when tragedies befall them and bring glory to God through His church because of our compassion? What might the ripple effects of that be if we step out and make sacrifices and do things for others? I know a family who once, there was a young man who just was casually dating a girl that went to church. 
And uh, <clears throat> that family, this man was very poor, came from an inner city situation, had very little money. And his family had two cars. They, they gave him a car. And they let him use it and, so that he could drive back and forth to church. And, and because of the compassion that was showed and the ability to get him to church and to interact with people and have fellowship and study, the guy becomes a Christian. The ripple effects of compassion reached out and touched that man's life and gave him hope when he didn't have any. And then here's the last thing. God can change lives through the ripple effect of compassion. And what I mean by that is this. There were those who were fed that day. They were hungry, and Jesus feeds them. And not just in your everyday way. He feeds them through this miracle. And I can imagine them seeing this, you know, oh, just this little bit of food, and it just keeps coming and keeps coming. They have these baskets can you imagine sitting there and watching 10 people fed in front of you or so, and that basket ought to be empty, but the guy just keeps bringing more out? You'd never forget that. And what about the ones that did the compassion and had the compassion? It changed their lives too, don't you think? I mean, don't you know that when they were old and and thinking about some of the things that had taken... Don't you know that they remembered the day that... This, I just kept reaching in, there'd be more. It never would run out. It had, a compa- it had an effect on all of them. And showing compassion to others will have a f- an effect on everybody involved too. The one who needs compassion, they'll be touched. It'll help them. They'll not forget or soon forget what you have done for them. But it'll also help you. You don't think you're going to feel good and and that special feeling that you have when you've helped somebody and been able to accomplish this. Well, in a a godly sort of way, you're proud of yourself. It makes you feel good to see that, yeah, I, I denied myself and I did this. And I like that. That felt good. It felt right. Because it was right. It was a step toward being more like Jesus. What we need to do is to be compassionate. Let God live in us. Let the heart of God be seen in us. Let the ripple effect of compassion touch this community. If it's just a kind word, if it's just to be able to go up to somebody and say, you know, I consider you a friend. I'm proud of you. I'll share this. One of the young people, when my dad was sick, and we didn't know he was as sick as he was, but one of the young people here, teenager, wrote me a card, had a scripture reference to it, had a real nice thing written in it. <clears throat> that meant the world to me. Um, you know, what she wrote, it's just one of those things where, you know, you could say, oh, that's, that's, a, that's somebody else's job. I don't need to buy into that yet. You know, when I, when I get older, I'll do stuff like that. Uh, that's, that's for other people to take care of. But because of the compassion, it had an impact. And that's what we're, we should be about. The ripple effect of compassion.
can move and motivate people to serve God more fully than they have in the past. It can encourage others. It will strengthen ourselves. Let's be compassionate. Let's serve the people in this church and in this community. Let's reach out to others in a way that maybe, well, we've heard the saying, we don't care how much you know until we know how much you care. That may not be the way it's supposed to be, but it, it's the way it is. And we can reach people with the Word of God by first showing them compassion with our lives. Let's, let's be about that. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a child of God, why don't you obey the gospel today? God has been compassionate toward you. He said, even though you're a sinner, I will wash you and make you white as snow. I'll make you fit for heaven. If you need to respond to the invitation, we, we hope that you'll be baptized into Christ. Or if you've already done that and you need prayers, or maybe you need to, you want to be more compassionate. Maybe, maybe you've left other things past when you should have and you didn't and you feel bad about it. And maybe you just want to be stronger to have your eyes more open to opportunities and pray to that effect. Um, if there's any need that you have, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.